Um, the first question I want to ask you guys today is, what is the very first sound you hear every morning? I imagine for a lot of us, it's going to be some type of alarm clock. <clears throat> I know for me, I just have the generic kind of high-pitched ringtone of, I don't even know what the song is, but it gets me up. Uh, for my uh, eldest daughter, Kate, I will hear her alarm go off in another part of the house. And uh, more cleverly, she has trained her Google Assistant on her phone to say to her in the Google Assistant voice, get up, seriously, now. <laughs> Which, you know, kind of funny hearing a robot uh, say that there. Uh, but whatever alarm you choose to wake up by, it's got to be that right amount of obnoxious uh, so that you actually get out of bed. I mean, if you choose like turning on the radio or like some Hawaiian ukulele, you're going to drift off and fall back to sleep. Uh, but we need something a little bit obnoxious because we know it's not fun to get out of bed sometimes. I mean, it's cold, it's dark this time of year, it's more cozy to sleep in. Uh, but we set our alarms typically because there's something important that we're going to miss out on if we don't set them. For you, that could be work, it could be school, it could be appointments or meetings or whatever you have going on. And that's why even when people travel, they might even call the front desk of the hotel and ask for a wake-up call so they don't miss their plane. They go, hello, Mr. Pivik, this is your wake-up call. And we've actually come to use this expression, this is your wake-up call, proverbially, right? Like when we've been putting something important off, but we know it's time that we finally get serious. Like if you happen to miss a payment on a particular bill, your credit cards might be maxed out, and you incur a big penalty fee, that could be your wake-up call to get your financial house in order. Or uh, you might have something more serious like a health scare. Uh, maybe you pass out suddenly uh, or have a stroke or see a certain number on the scale that you've never seen before. That might be your wake-up call to make some changes with your health. Or uh, for some of you young men, you've been dating that special girl for a year and a half now, but you haven't gotten around to proposing yet. So one weekend you call her up and say, hey, let's go out this weekend. And she says, oh, I'd love to. Uh, I can't tonight. I'm gonna go see a movie with my new friend, Chad, who I met at the gym. That could be your wake up call to get serious here. And I think that most of us need this kind of jarring wake up call to, take, to get the motivation to take on something uh, difficult. And I think that's because, simply, we have the tendency to do the easy stuff now and do the tough stuff sometime in the future. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, each year, my family likes to do a jigsaw puzzle over Christmas. This year, we got a, a big one. Great, pictures of dragons and castles, all sorts of cool things. But we knew when we bought it, there was going to be this one tough section just on one side of it vast forest, all kind of similar shades of green, no distinguishable shapes. And we said, that's going to be the tough part. And sure enough, this large puzzle, everything else gets filled in, and then like this empty spot for the forest. And when we got there, we even left it for a few days. We didn't even touch it for a bit, but we finally did get through it, thankfully, but it took a while. Um, but I think the same thing's true in our walk with God, in our discipleship. We'll often go for the low-lying fruit or the easy stuff, the stuff that we really enjoy, and we will excel in those areas. But um, the hard stuff, we say, well, let's save that for another day. Reading the Bible might be very easy for you, or maybe 
you find serving uh, really easy or maybe even singing worship songs and you say, hey, I'll do that all day long, all week long, I'm happy to do it. But forgiving other people when they've hurt us in rebuilding a relationship or turning away from a sin that might have carved out a huge portion of our life for many, many years, well, those kinds of things are too hard. Uh, They're no fun and we just don't want to. So we put the covers over our head and go back to sleep. And we say to ourselves, you know what? I'm going to deal with that one later. Maybe in a few more years when I'm more mature, after I read the Bible a few times, whatever it is, but we put it off. And if we do eventually get around to those things, that's good. Uh, Better late than never. But I think that the danger is in putting these important but difficult things off for the future we might not ever get around to them at all. And if that happens, uh, we can get stunted in our Christian growth. We can get stuck in this level of immaturity that God simply doesn't intend for us to stay at. So we might need a wake-up call in our spiritual lives as well. Uh, We don't want to miss out on how God is shaping us in his image. Now, the good news uh, this morning is that we are going to get a wake-up call in today's passage, but the flip side to that good news. I don't want to call it bad news because it's not really bad. But the flip side is, is that we might actually need this wake-up call to motivate us because the Apostle Paul is going to ask us to up our game as we follow Jesus by doing two specific things that I think uh, many of us find to be pretty difficult. And I'm just going to tell you what those two things are up front. First, he's going to uh, tell us as followers of Christ that we need to submit to the governing authorities, to bend the knee to the government. And the second thing he's going to tell us is that we need to love one another. And for some people in this room, both of those might be super easy. But I think that for many of us, one or maybe both of those things are a little bit difficult to do. I mean, those might be the aspects of discipleship that we struggle with a little bit, that we just don't want to do, or we find excuses to put off. And uh, we say, well, I'll just do that tomorrow or some other time. But if we were to ask the Apostle Paul, when is the right time to get around to these harder areas of discipleship? I think based on the passage that we're going to read today, that Paul would tell us, well, actually, today's the day to lean into the hard things of discipleship. Not tomorrow, not when the temperature gets above zero, Uh, Not next year, not on your deathbed, in your dying breath. Today's the day we need to get real with our discipleship and walk it out, even in some of these tougher areas. So if you got your Bibles there or one in front of you there in the uh, seats, please open up your Bible to Romans chapter 13. Romans 13, verse 1. And as you're turning over to Romans 13, I'll just say this up front. Uh, This is a little bit tricky uh, of a chapter here. Uh, One, just because of the topic, uh, hard uh, if we struggle with these. But also, it's dealing with two different topics, submitting to the government, loving other people. But I think the common thread that's tying these two things together really is the urgency that Paul gives for us to live out our Christian faith in these very practical ways. And really, that's a continuation of where Pastor Mark left us last week with Romans 12. If you remember, last week, uh, Pastor Mark mentioned that for 11 whole chapters here, Paul's been building up a a lot of theology. 
And then once we get to chapters 12, 13, 14, we are now suddenly in the application section. And uh, again, you don't need to turn there, but last week, Pastor Mark said in chapter 12, 1, he says, it starts with the word therefore. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that word, therefore, is quite important. It indicates uh, that everything Paul's been teaching in Romans up to this point about the mercy of God through the gospel of Christ forms the basis for these applications in chapters 12, 13, 14, and so on. So given this, uh, everything Paul's taught so far, he makes this broad General appeal, 12, 1 and 2, offer up your bodies as living sacrifices, renew your thinking, uh, don't be conformed. And that's all well and good when it's not specific. But what does it look like in the real world to become a living sacrifice, to renew our thoughts, to not be conformed? Chapter 13 provides part of the answer to that. Paul calls for some very specific and painful self-sacrifice and to the reshaping of our thinking in some very concrete ways. And the first of these ways uh, is changing in how we think of and interact with the governing authorities over us. So this is going to be our first point today. We should submit to the governing authorities. Uh, This is exactly the kind of message you woke up at at 45 below to come in and hear. Nice cheery message on, on that. Uh, It'll warm you up in one way or another. Um, Well, let's start reading a few verses here, starting in 13.1. Paul writes to the Romans, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authorities, rebelling against what God has instituted And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what's right and you'll be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Okay, uh, let's talk about these first few verses here. We're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning. Uh, And the main thought is really in that very first verse where Paul says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Uh, I I chose this week to use the 2011 NIV translation. Pretty good translation, I think, for the most part in this chapter, but I do take some issues with this first verse. Uh, If you were to look back at the older 1984 version uh, of the NIV. 
it translates the first part of this verse a little bit differently. It says, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, which I actually think is a better translation here. And one reason why I think it is better is because like in the Greek, it communicates this idea of each person having to actively choose whether they are going to submit themselves or not, rather than just being kind of a distant or helpless participant in forces beyond their control. Okay, again, I hear the 2011 NIV says, let everyone be subject to And I think, well, I'm subject to a lot of things. I'm subject to aging. I could be subject to accusation or I could be subject to forces beyond my control. But in all that, it sounds like I can't help it. It sounds like it's kind of passive on my part. But actively, I and you regularly choose whether we will or won't submit to someone or something. And that's really what Paul's talking about here. He's appealing for these Romans to make this active choice in how they position themselves in relationship to the government. Um, And how does he tell them to position themselves? He says, everyone, every soul, all y'all, each one of you submit yourselves to the governing authorities. Uh, What does submit mean? Uh, Really simply, it's just a positioning term here. It means that you take one thing and you put it under something else. In this case, you have the governing authorities here. I'm going to use a fist because they have power, authority to punish evil. And you position yourself, you put yourself uh, under here. Uh, Just like it's uh, submarine is under the water, submit is to put under here. And of course, if you submit to something, that means that you're under their authority. Now, do we typically like to put ourselves down here in relation to anyone or anything? I don't think so. Uh, In America, we really value our individual freedom highly, and that is even more so here uh, up in Alaska. If they they value freedom everywhere else, I think we do even more. Who are you to tell me I can't do such and such, so-and-so? Just try to stop me. Come at me, bro, right? This is the default stance, I think, for a lot of us. We don't like to put ourselves down here under anyone or anything. It's difficult because we feel that we know what is in our own best interest better than the government or someone else. And that's why I think Paul gives so much attention to this particular issue. Um, Again, last week, Pastor Mark talked about how at the end of chapter 12, there's this whole kind of Shotgun blast of applications just come really quickly uh, at us, right? Uh, in end of chapter 12, he says things like, hate what's evil, cling to what's good, don't be lacking in zeal, be faithful in prayer, so on and so on and so on. And uh, Pastor Mark likened it to this like 54-point checkup that you get at a mechanics uh, place. I thought that was a great analogy. But most of those applications don't get any explanation They don't even get a full verse. They just kind of do all this stuff here. But when Paul gets to talking about submitting oneself to the government, he's got to slow way down because he's got some explaining to do. He's got to give us his justification and reasoning uh, because he knows that this application is a hard one for most of us and the Romans to swallow. Keep in mind that at this time, the Emperor Nero was on the throne, who turned out not to be a very good emperor by the end of his reign there. 
But no one said following Jesus would be easy. Submit yourselves to the governing authorities. That's a big ask. Uh, at least we got to say Paul gives us an excellent reason why we should. And he says this in the back half of verse 1. Why should we do it? He says, verse 1, For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. So to ask the question again, why should we submit? Is it because the government's perfect and efficient and always has the wisest decisions? Because the people you voted got into power every single time you've ever voted your whole life? Because each and every government official is God-fearing and beyond reproach in every instance? No. Paul's very simple reason why we should submit ourselves, put ourselves down here, is uh, because God put these governing authorities in place. Uh, it says here in the text twice, it says he established them and he instituted them. Uh, there's a really interesting thing going on here at the words in uh, 13, chapter 13. Four of the main verbs here all have to do with putting or placing something in a certain position here, right? So uh, here it's that root word to put or place. He established the government. He instituted the government. And we are to submit, put ourselves under here. And even the word for rebel in uh, the verb rebel in chapter 2 it's also that same thing of put, but it's put yourself in opposition to. So four times it's the same root word here. But the big question is, is where are you and I going to put ourselves in relationship to the government? God has put it here. Are we going to put ourselves here? Or are we going to put ourselves here? And the main reason Paul gives us uh, is because he says God has put these in place. That's why we ought to do it. I think, really, as followers of Christ, that should be enough to convince us, but Paul keeps on talking, and he actually gives us a second reason why we should do that. And the second reason why we should submit to the authorities is because we can avoid punishment. Um, reading verse 2 again, Paul says, Consequently, whoever rebels, putting yourself here, against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Uh, that's just another way of saying here that if you put yourself in opposition to what God has opposed, you've got no one else to blame uh, when you face the, the consequences that follow. Verse 3, For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what's right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They're God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but as a matter of conscience. Okay, the main point of this second reason here is that when we submit ourselves to the authorities, we avoid punishment, which is great. Uh, Paul says they bear the sword, he says that they are agents of wrath uh, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. So the government has this authority uh, and this job description of administering justice by punishing evil. 
And I think we should all be grateful for that. Now, when we get to uh, verse five, it's kind of a summary statement. He says, therefore, it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of punishment, which he's mentioned, but also as a matter of conscience. And I don't think he's presenting a new idea here when he says it's a matter of conscience. I think he's repeating the same idea he already said about God putting these uh, authorities in place. If God put them there, then uh, we should be moved by our, our conscience to submit ourselves there. Now, uh, I do want to say one other kind of salty thing here, so brace yourselves uh, about these verses. And that's the particular language that Paul uses in talking about uh, government workers and those in office. He says, notice how in verse 4, Paul calls these government workers God's servants twice, two times. And then again in verse 6, Paul calls them servants, although this time it's actually a different word than the one used in verse 4. If you have a different translation, it might be minister, right? So government officials and workers, ministers, servants, God's servants. But my question for you and for me uh, is, well, how do you think of government workers? How do you think of those in office? Uh, Do you hold them in high esteem? Do you see them as servants and ministers of God? If not, how do you see them? Uh, Paul already said in Romans 12 too, he says, we're supposed to be different from the pattern of the world. We're supposed to renew our minds. And a lot of our Christian faith has to do with changing our thinking and changing our actions that follow here. I think that we have a personal challenge here for you, for me, starting with our thoughts here. Just like we need to treat every person that we encounter as an image bearer of God, someone's made God's image, so we need to start thinking about government workers and those in office as God's servants and ministers. And I think that's another big ask. Uh, but I told you, Paul's called us to some hard things. Uh, this is one of them. Following Jesus is not always easy. Because I think... Uh, If you're like me, you know it's easy. It is so easy to talk smack or to make jokes about those holding political office and those who work in the government. I mean, they're easy targets. Typically, we don't like the authority over us, and so they're the butt of a lot of jokes. And I'm not even saying hard and fast that you can never make a good-natured joke about a government worker ever again in a good-natured way. But I am saying that as disciples of Jesus who have been recipients of his mercy, and who are slowly, slowly being transformed into the image of Christ, that many of us, including myself, need to change our thinking about government authorities and government workers. So if you want to be a countercultural rebel uh, for Jesus, a true Jesus freak, and not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, step one might be right here by starting to think about other people and even those who govern differently. And one application that might be when people start talking politics around the workplace or school this election year uh, to take the high road. It's 2024, uh, yay. Uh, It's an election year. And we know social media, internet, people we talk, there's going to be all kinds of smack thrown around. But my encouragement to you is let your mind be renewed in this and keep it classy for God's sake, for his glory, and bring him honor and no doubt that you will stand out. 
Uh, while wrapping up this first section, we have uh, some very specific applications. Verse 6, uh, Paul says, This is why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants or ministers, depending on translation, who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, respect. If honor, then honor. Uh, I don't have too much to add to this. I mean, it's taxes, so pay your taxes. Uh, do them honestly. If there's other laws or regulations that you need to come under, come under those too. And if there's someone to whom you need to render some respect or honor to, do that. Uh, I think, again, maybe even particularly in our American culture, that this is, it's countercultural to show respect. Um, God, I'll tell one quick story. Many, many years ago, uh, God convicted me with this verse. It had nothing to do with government. I was a college student. And uh, it was towards the end of my, my, my time of getting my degree. I was probably a junior, senior, and I had to take one lit class that I was dreading. It was a literature class on the works of Herman Melville. Okay, That's basically Moby Dick. I, he wrote Billy Budd too, but I mean, it's basically a whole class, a whole semester on Moby Dick. And it was the dullest thing I felt I had ever started to read. <laughs> and the lectures were boring, and I thought, you know what? The weather's nice. I'm going to go work on my tan. And I started to do this pretty regularly. I started skipping class because I thought, I can, I can just wing this one. I'll get a B. You know, who cares? But God used this particular verse to convict me and say, Adam, you're not showing your professor respect. Uh, and I wasn't. Even when I was there, I was kind of openly yawning and kind of you know, doing the head dip thing and, and all that. And uh, so at the time, I, I thought, okay, I need to start going to class. And I did. I toughed it out. I think that's when I started drinking coffee in my afternoon class. Um, and I'm not saying it was perfect, but uh, there might be someone else, even outside the government, that we need to render respect to. He was an authority over me. Uh, and if we need to render that, we need to render that. So um, moving on here. Uh, before we move on to the back half of the chapter, which really I'm going to do quite quickly, I do want to address the elephant in the room that uh, some of you have been thinking about ever since we read verse 1. Verse 1, submit yourselves to the governing authorities. And this is the thought that many of you might have. Someone's going to say, Adam, you're only telling part of the story. Yeah, sure. The Bible says here in chapter 13 of Romans to submit to the governing authorities. And I know there's that another passage in 1 Peter 2 that says the same. But there are other parts of the Bible. It's a big Bible where people disobey the governing authorities and they're commended for their disobedience. Isn't there a case to be made biblically for civil disobedience? And uh, I'll agree with you. It is true. Uh, there are a lot of passages in the Bible like that. I'll give you a few. I won't even list them all. Uh, these are the ones that come to my mind. Exodus. Uh, the Jewish midwives are told to kill the Jewish babies when they're born. It says in Exodus that out of their fear of God, that they refuse to do so. And they even lied about it. And they are commended by God and given families of their own. In the book of Daniel, we know the three Hebrew children, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, twice they are told by King Nebuchadnezzar, who was uh, quite a piece of work, uh, to bow down and worship an idol, and they refused to do so and were thrown into a fiery furnace and were delivered. Daniel himself uh, disobeyed a different king in a royal decree not to pay, pray to anyone else but the king. And he got thrown in a lion's den, but again was delivered. 
the book of Joshua, Rahab the prostitute, hid the Jewish spies, lied about it, and not only became a part of God's people, but was a, an ancestor of Jesus. Obadiah, a little bit less known story, hid God's prophets in a cave to save their lives when Queen Jezebel was killing them all off. In Acts, when the apostles uh, were told by the Jewish leaders, shut up, stop talking about Jesus. They said, we must obey God rather than men. And even in Revelation, the people who refuse to take the mark of the beast uh, do the right thing in God's sight, even though it costs them dearly. And there's other ones I'm not even mentioning. There is an authority higher than government authority on earth. And when we are told by an earthly government to do something in opposition to what God instructs us to do, it's right that we should disobey. And we'll probably take our lumps for it to God's glory. But those times are typically the exceptions to the rule and uh, not the rule itself. I think uh, really simply, as Jesus said it, we need to render unto Caesar what's Caesar's and unto God what is God's. Uh, And if you say, Adam, there's still a lot more there, I agree. But this sermon's not supposed to be a whole Bible exhaustive study about how the Christian should relate to the government in each and every situation. I could think of lots of concrete examples that would really make our scratch our heads and say, what's the right thing to do here? I think it's a great topic worth exploring at depth. But I just want to point out here that this chapter in Romans is one important piece of the puzzle. It's about this general stance that we ought to have uh, about our positioning in relationship to the government, which is submit yourselves to the government. Why? Because God's the one who put it there. Um, now, as food for thought in your sermon notes, I, I have given you a link to an article that I have found helpful as I've wrestled with how Christians ought to respond uh, to the government, particularly uh, when they are hostile towards Christianity. It's entitled, uh, My Declaration of Faithful Disobedience, and it was written by a Christian pastor in China named Wang Yi. Uh, Those of you who uh, often pray for the persecuted church might already know his story quite well. Uh, He's currently serving a nine-year prison sentence uh, in China, or uh, as his members of his church call it, prison seminary, uh, for basically sharing the gospel. And uh, if you spend 10 minutes to uh, read uh, this particular document, you're going to see that this guy's heart is uh, on obeying, or whether he's obeying or disobeying, uh, you know, faithful disobedience to the earthly governments. He is concerned with being faithful to God and winning souls to Christ. I'll give you just one uh, short quote from his, his statement here, um, just to whet your appetite. He says, and this is after he's imprisoned, he says, I hope God uses me by means of first losing my personal freedom to tell those who've deprived me of my personal freedom that there's an authority higher than their authority. There is a freedom that they cannot restrain, a freedom that fills the church of the crucified and risen Jesus Christ. So if you you get a few minutes, I encourage you to read uh, the whole thing. It's not scripture, uh, but I think it's insightful as he's one Christian guy in our real world today who has some thoughts about trying to honor God uh, and his word in some tricky real-life situations when the government is legitimately and thoroughly hostile towards Christianity. Uh, well, let's move on here. Um, Jesus calls us as disciples to do some hard things. One of those things is submitting to the government. And the second one we're going to look at really shortly here is loving others. 
Oops, did I, did I go back? Is it already up there? Oh, let's see if I got it here. Oh, okay, I'm going to hit it. There we go. That's it. We got it. Hey, there we go. Um, and this is one I'm not going to harp on too much because I think we know this well. We hear this all the time. Let's read from verse 8 here. Paul says, uh, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore loves the fulfillment of the law. And do this understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our, our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night's nearly over, the day's almost here, so let's put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let's behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Okay, we're going to move through this quickly here. Uh, this command to love one another is found frequently in Scripture. Paul even spends a few verses talking about it in chapter 12. But I think the focus here in chapter 13 is that this is our debt. Our obligation to love one another is one that never ends. Okay? Paul calls it our continuing debt. I actually like the way he says it. It's our continuing debt. In other words, he's saying that loving our neighbor is something that's always in season. This is the stuff that you and I ought to be about every single day of our lives. Uh, and he doesn't give too much more commentary on loving our number, neighbor other than to say multiple times that it fulfills the law. And he says this three times. Verse 8, whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Verse 10, love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And in between those two statements, he says the commandments are all summed up in loving one's neighbor. Whatever other command there may be is summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. That's a lot of rep repetition here in such a short space. And to say that love is the fulfillment of the law is another way of saying like this is God's fully orbed will for us here. This is what he really wants from us. This is what it looks like. But uh, if you thought submitting to the government was hard, how is it in loving other people? Well, okay, sometimes it's easy, right? Some people, some of the time, if they stay in line, uh, but not other people, uh, the rest of the time, especially if they have strong opinions and are loud mouthed about them. Because, I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, isn't there someone here, you know their name, who drives you up the wall? I think that we all have people like this in our lives. And the temptation for us, I think, as Christians is to be selective and maybe a little bit incomplete in how we love our neighbor. Uh, we might pick and choose who are we going to lavish our love on. In others, we might just say, well, I'll give you the, the bare minimum, just kind of you know, cross the T, dot the I, check the box, and be done with it. And other people will say, ah, I'll get to that one later. Because you know them, Lord, right? That's what we say. But I think if we do this, we kind of half love in the name of Christ. 
But I also think that Paul knows that we have this temptation to not love fully because that's what he says. That's why he says what he does in verse 11. He says, do this, love one another, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night's nearly over, the day's almost here, so let's put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. It's like he's saying, come on now, don't you see what time it is? It's time to get at this love stuff like you really mean it. We can't just sleepily half love, half obey, half submit, or half live out our discipleship. It's time to wake up from our sleep. And when Paul says, uh, when Paul says these things, I don't think he's just saying, well, uh, he's not focusing on the imminent return of Christ or anything like that. He's not saying you got to do it because you're going to die any second. Uh, but he says it in these terms. He says our salvation's nearer now than when we first believed. The night's nearly over and the day is almost here. And I think what Paul's got in mind here is this big picture of what God has been working throughout humanity. He's already been talking about it in Romans, the sin, the fall of mankind, what God has done to lead to the Messiah, Jesus' death, his resurrection from the dead, his future for Israel. And now we're in this final chapter of what God is doing in the redemption of humanity, saying this is not the time to pull up the covers over your head. This is the time to get up. And, uh, you know, this is the day to wake up and to lean into these hard things of discipleship. Loving other people for real, completely. Submitting oneself to the government for God's sake. And even to casting off what might be besetting sins that we might have let take over some part of our life. Like it says in the last few verses here, the night's nearly over, the day's almost here. Let's put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let's behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus and don't think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Uh, last word here. Uh, these last few sins that Paul mentions can be hard ones to turn away from. Uh, drunkenness, uh, especially if you struggle with alcohol addiction or substance addiction. Sexual immorality, uh, if you find porn to be your daily bread. And dissension and jealousy. Wouldn't think those ones would be in there, huh? Dissension and jealousy, if you are harboring and nursing an animosity towards he or she who must not be named. I think that each of these can be really hard to deal with, so we might be tempted to put them off uh, for the future. Uh, but there is no better day than today to start leaning into these hard things. It's time to wake up. Things in God's program are wrapping up. Our days are numbered. It's the final act, and we want to be uh, on point here. We want to have that character arc show up in our lives in this last season, in this last inning here, where we can say to God, God, what you did with your mercy made a difference in me. And you can see it. It was painful, but here's, here's this evidence to your glory. I think we all want that. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, and do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, 
because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Uh, Lord Jesus, um, <laughs> discipleship can be hard. Following you can be hard, but we thank you. Uh, you didn't have it easy uh, here in the incarnation here. Uh, we thank you for your great mercy that you have shown us, which you've been reading about for so many chapters. And we thank you, Lord, that you have a plan for humanity and are, are drawing it into the final chapter here. Help us to uh, be awake and alert. Help us to lean into the things we need to, Lord. Thank you, too, that you don't expect us to do it in our own strength. Holy Spirit, help us. Uh, help us, too, Lord, to lean on our brothers and sisters to help us to walk forward, to do the, the tough stuff for you, for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name.